Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. I am Pittsburgh Current editor and publisher Charlie Deach, coming to you live, as always, from the beautiful Beachview Business District here at Sorgatron Media on Broadway Avenue. Um, our new issue of the Pittsburgh Current is on stands right now. You can read our cover story on musical artist, visual artist, and activist, the Childlike Empress. They have a new record dropping uh, later this month, so check that out, as well as coverage of all the latest music arts and entertainment coming up uh in the next two weeks the next issue of the pittsburgh current will be october 29th and that will be our election issue as well as we will be looking back um in the past uh we'll be looking back at last year's um tragedy at the tree of life synagogue in squirrel hill um Two announcements are we will be having a repeal day party on December 5th at Max's Allegheny Tavern. For tickets, you can go to PittsburghCurrent.com. And just announced this week, uh, a fan, member of the Pittsburgh podcast, Pittsburgh Current Podcast Network, Jim Crenn, will be having Jim Crenn a very Yinzer Christmas, featuring, of course, the comedy and vocal stylings of our own Jim Crenn, as well as the Bill Henry Band. Again, for and more information, you can go to PittsburghCurrent.com. <clears throat> we're going to talk a little bit of uh, upcoming elections t- today. Um, the Pittsburgh Parks Conservancy is asking voters to support a half mill levy that would generate up to $10 million in new revenue for the city's parks. The proposed property tax increase would cost the owner of a $100,000 home an additional $50 a year. The measure is not without its critics, however, who worry about putting additional taxes on homeowners. But here to talk about the, uh, the, uh, the measure today is Jane Miller, the president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Parks Conservancy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Charlie. Um, so talk to us a little bit about where the idea of this, I mean, we all know that, you know, it, there, there has been some, some disrepair in our parks. I mean, and you can only be budgeted so much from the city. So talk a little bit about how this came about and um, why you decided to cut you guys decided to go this route. So uh, the Conservancy has been in existence since 1996. Um, It was actually started because of the poor condition of parks to raise private dollars to help augment um, and be the nonprofit partner to the city for the park system. Um, Since since we were created, we've raised over $124 million. On average, we, we raise about $8 million a year. Um, to make improvements in parks. And and I think most people can recognize the improvements that we've made. For example, at the Frick Environmental Center, Highland Park, the Chapel Shelter, and Riverview Park, for example. But in the scheme of things, it's really been a small drop in the bucket relative to the significant um, backlog of needs and annual maintenance needs the park system needs. And so we decided... um, actually to to take a more comprehensive look at the park system, understand really globally what are the needs of the system, and then to uh, also ask the public for their priorities for where they wanted money spent in the, in the system. And then from there, really come up with a strategy about how do we, where does the money come from? And since the need is so great, mm-hmm. um, at a minimum, we, the park system needs $33 million a year. We can't raise that privately. Right. Um, and these are public assets. 
What did you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. So what, what's your allocation from the city? Uh, we actually roughly? have got, we never get any money from the city over the history of the conservancy. Right. We've received no public dollars. So what I meant to say, how much does the city typically spend on its parks? So, so currently this fiscal year, mm-hmm. uh, their budget is about $56 million okay. a year. Uh, they, the city spends, uh, based on, uh, 2018 numbers spends $83 per capita. When we look at our per- peer cities, mm-hmm. um, they spend about $130 per capita on parks. And give us a little bit of uh, an idea for the folks. I mean, a lot of folks, when they think of, of the park system, they think about the park in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit of an overview of what kind of uh, what kind of real estate we're talking about in terms Absolutely. of how big is the system and, and what kind of things great, are... Great question. So there are 165 parks... Of those 165 parks, five are the five are the regional parks that a lot of people know about: mm-hmm. Frick, Emerald View, Riverview, Shenley, Highland Park. Those are the big regional parks. Then there's 21 community parks. For example, um, Arsenal Park, Allegheny Commons, the larger neighborhood parks that are still in the neighborhoods but right. are larger than the smaller one-block parks. And then the remaining um, parks are all the small neighborhood parks. And and just like in any other city across the country, it's the neighborhood parks that really are the heart and soul of the park system. The majority of parks are neighborhood parks. They're the ones people go to to take their kids to go to the playground, meet friends, take their dogs for a walk, those kinds of things. Those are really the heart and soul of any city park system. Um, And when you were talking to folks, and I know that you've been doing – listening tours since uh, earlier this year. And I know you've had interaction with the public, obviously, right. as you go. Um, what kind of things are you hearing from the public in terms of what they see as the issues that have needed addressed? Great question. So um, in addition to collecting data, understanding really what the condition of every park is, we've also collected information on every what's called 10-minute walk shed that surrounds every park. Things like uh, family poverty, racially concentrated areas of poverty, health indicators. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third piece of information we've collected is from residents. What are their priorities for the park system? Where do they want the money spent? What kinds of amenities, what kinds of maintenance practices are most important to them? And the number one thing we heard from everyone was take care of the system that we have and, and spend number one priority is spend money on maintenance of the park system. And how does the conservancy, um, I don't want to say offset, but how do you supplement? Can you kind of get specifics of how does the conservancy supplement what the city does at the park? Absolutely. So when the conservancy started, the the original plan for the conservancy was to raise private money for capital investments. Mm -hmm. So we, that's when we started doing all these capital projects and our original agreement with the city limited us just to working in the regional parks. Okay. Um, that was true up until 2011. Then we had a modified agreement uh, or an updated agreement with the city that allowed us to actually work in all of the parks. So that's when we started working in McKinley Park, for example. We started working in Arsenal Park. Mm-hmm. So um, now also what we do is we also not only do capital projects, but we also do maintenance, restoration work, tree work, ecology work in the park. Uh, We run some facilities. For example, we operate and manage the Shenley Plaza. 
We operate FERC Environmental Center. We provide educational programming. We provide special events. So in many ways, we function very similarly as the city, mm -hmm. but on a smaller scale. Right. So we augment city services in areas where we've actually made investments. What is the what is the relationship been like with the city in terms of – sure, I phrase this the right way, but – so when you folks came about, of course, as you said, capital improvements was what you were. Um, so then obviously you start to realize that there's a whole lot of other work that needs done where the money needs to go. So is there, is there, is there some sort of responsibility? Like what, do you feel like the city is doing enough from their end? Because again, you guys were supposed to be the supplemental. Let's, right. you know, things like the Frick Environmental Center, things like that, that were these capital improvements. Um, but now here you're also now dealing with this maintenance stuff and the the upkeep and, and things that at least in theory and again we know there's only so much money to go around right. but in theory is the city's responsibility um about when did about when did that start to change in terms of you guys filling in that role and was it something that you that you maybe I don't want to say fought but is it something that you pushed back against and are you concerned about the ability to do these kind of capital projects? Great, great question. So complicated question. So it may take a Please, little bit more for me to time. give you the answer. But, you know, I think that um, originally we raised money for capital projects. Yeah. As we completed those capital projects, every capital project we've completed, we then have an ongoing relationship with the city where we have some responsibility. Sure, makes sense. So, for example, at Highland Park, we redid the entry garden. We are then responsible for re maintaining the entry garden. Um, so I, what I would say is our, the evolution of our responsibilities um, that go beyond capital projects has evolved over our 20-year history. I think a combination of two reasons. One is we recognize that, yeah, we can raise some of the money for the capital, but the city didn't always have the resources to maintain things. Right. So rather than let that investment go, you know, we made arrangements to raise additional money, get volunteers to help take care of an asset we improved on. Um, you know, what I would say is, yes, these are public spaces and they are the responsibility of the city and they will always be public spaces. In fact, every project that we do, we don't have own anything in the system. It is all owned by the city, right. even though we've raised all these private dollars. But what I will tell you is it's what's happening in Pittsburgh is happening across the country. Park systems in urban areas are facing significant challenges with having enough resources to take care of their mm -hmm. park systems. Um, public tax dollars is less than what they used to be in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, there simply aren't the resources. I would say the issue in Pittsburgh is compounded by the fact that when the decline of the steel industry occurred in the 80s, and literally the survival of the city was in real jeopardy for mm -hmm. decades the ability for the city to take care of any part of its infrastructure right. was really difficult, whether it was streets or roads or bridges or parks. And so the problem in Pittsburgh is exacerbated because of the economic decline that happened in Pittsburgh. Um, so, and, and we've, we've certainly, we've certainly seen, this isn't, this isn't an unheard of pro And I do want to stress that as, as Jane said, we're, this is not a privatization of the park. Absolutely this is an extension not. of your current role. Um, so, and I know that that's been a concern um, of some of the critics out there. And 
<laughs> sometimes I wonder once your concern has been answered, is it still a concern or is it just a talking point at that point? But that's my, those are my words, not Jane's. Mm -hmm. But so you, you do, you do have to think about things like that. Um, I do also want to say, if you have any questions, please feel free to uh, type them into our uh, Facebook chat here and we will, um, we'll look them over and um, we'll be glad to, to pose them to Jane. Um, so, Oh, so yeah, so this is not an unheard of. The, the library system a few years ago did a similar, a similar uh, ballot measure where they asked for uh, a 0.25 uh, mil levy. Um, did you did you look at that campaign at all in terms of seeing what the success was in and in terms of, um, I guess also it had to be a, a bit of a of a of a positive that people did support that uh, yes, levy. Yes. So so how how did you look at that and then. How did you sort of build off that idea as you, as you? Yeah. So of course we looked at the library uh, levy. We also looked at, to be really frank at the allies for children initiative yeah, a year absolutely. ago. So, um, you know, I would say, you know, I've been a parks professional my entire career and, um, you know, I think from the framework of what we were trying to do is two generations of Pittsburgh's of Pittsburghers have not had access to quality parks. Right. Mm -hmm. And our position is, you know, if the city continues its its rebuilding and getting stronger, that's going to be wonderful. But it will probably take just as long of a recovery as it did the decline. Right. So we're talking a 50-year decline. We're probably talking a 50-year sure. rebuild. And so in our view, parks are such an integral part to the quality of a city and quality of life of residents that could we wait another 50 years to make these investments in parks? And so that's why we have gone through this exercise and is also why we are putting a referendum on the ballot for the voters of Pittsburgh to tell us, do you want to fund additional resources and provide additional resources to bring our parks back up to a level that is important to you? And our view is that this is part of an important democratic process for voters and residents of Pittsburgh to speak and say, how important is this? Uh, as a professional, I know how important parks are to health and wellness in a community, to environmental sustainability, to economic development in a city, to community gathering places, yeah. to improving people's quality of life. But it is up to the residents to decide whether they want to tax themselves extra. And the thing is, these things are, when you're talking about Again, as you said, there has been a just a, there was for a long time a, a lack of attention paid to infrastructure repairs. But even when you do start that, I mean, you're obviously the city, uh, or the county, they're going to start looking at things like bridges and decaying roads and retaining walls and things like that. So parks are really parks are among those things that are probably far down on the list. So, um, you know, before you ever before there would ever be what would be called maybe an equitable kind of share, it would, it would it's going to take a while, I think, before it filters down to those things that even though when people move into a neighborhood, those are the things they look at, the schools and the parks right. and the libraries. Um, but you're maybe a little far down on the list when it, when it, in terms of getting that additional funding. Right. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. and Charlie, the other thing I would also say that complicates it is because of 50 years of underfunding. Yeah. You have this huge backlog. We right. have a minimum of a $400 million capital backlog yeah. and a $13 million annual shortfall in maintenance funding. So if we were to say, 
we want to solve that problem over a 20-year period of time, Yeah, particularly the capital piece. That means in today's dollars, we would need a minimum of $20 million a year just to address the backlog in 20 years. Wow. And that's not even factoring inflation. And then on top of that, we know that in today's dollars, we need $13 million for maintenance. So we need on an annual basis a minimum of $33 million just to bring the system where it should be. And that'll take even 20 years right. to get there. So that level of funding, privately, we can't raise right. that level of funding on an annual basis. Right. What um, the four hundred million dollar the back the, the the backlog? Talk a little bit about that. What what kind of projects are we talking about? What kind of what kind of things are we talking about? And then also rolling in that, let's talk about give kind of an overview of of some of the maintenance issues that we're talking about. Absolutely. At so from a capital perspective, what we're talking about is um, actually let me back up a little bit. So Please. the we have developed a long term investment plan based on public input for priorities plus the condition of parks and condition of neighborhoods. That investment strategy covers four very specific areas, maintenance of the system, mm -hmm. rehabilitation projects to restore um, and repair existing assets to extend their life, make them safe, make them more functional, capital improvements where we actually will do capital replacements of assets and parks, and then the fourth area is recreation programming. So on the capital project side, what we're talking about is uh, redoing a recreation center, for example, gotcha. rebuilding a playground going in and uh, remaking major renovations to a swimming pool. So when you think about the kinds of assets that are in parks, it's those kinds of improvements. Replacing paths and sidewalks that are in horrible shape. I can right. tell you I spend a lot of time in the parks, and I end up spending more time walking in the road than I do on the paths in the parks because right. they're in such bad condition. Wow. Things like that. Yeah. And Let's talk a little bit about when you when you're talking about and and it is with a lot of things when you're talking about um you know you you have parks obviously that are that are not in great shape but then as you as you start looking again as we do a lot at least more progressive minds in Pittsburgh we try to look at so there's this problem but then there's also the problem at the more underfunded neighborhoods at some of these other poor neighborhoods mm -hmm. that are not only suffering from the underfunding, the original underfunding, they're also suffering from the ills of not getting the proper services anyway. And that's, that's right. it's not that's a, right. you know, it's not a, it's not a thought or not, it's not a, it's an assumption. It's, it's the facts. It's the reality. Yeah. So we'll talk about some of those parks and, and the conditions of some of, some of those areas in, in a Gr relation. great, great question, Charlie. And one of the things that's been really important to us as we've developed this investment strategy is to uh, specifically target parks and neighborhoods that have the greatest need. Yeah. So on the capital side, all of the community data we've collected around family poverty, racially concentrated areas yeah. of poverty of the city, it's parts of the city that have higher obesity rates, higher asthma, diabetes, depression, anxiety rates, neighborhoods that have higher rates of crime, higher rates of vacancy rates, we have been very intentional on those data sets that we've collected because there is very strong research that correlates the connection of those data points and parks and people's access to quality parks. And so when you look at the capital investment strategy, the parks that are going to be targeted first are in neighborhoods that have higher rates of poverty, higher rates of racially concentrated of poverty, have higher health indicators, have higher rates of vandalism and crimes against persons, because those are the historically underfunded 
and not serviced as well neighborhoods right. in the city. And so not only are we trying to invest in the system as a whole, but we're intentionally targeting neighborhoods that have historically been underserved overall. Perfect. Um, and, um, well, let's take a quick break to say you are listening to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast um, here uh, on the Pittsburgh uh, the nothing uh, here at Sorgatron Media. I apologize uh, here in Beachview as we are every week. You can check out um, uh, PittsburghCurrent.com for all the latest uh, news and updates as well as uh, uh, you can download our past podcast as well. Um, Jane, first, I, so I, I have a couple things here. Uh, I have some frequently asked questions and things that you guys have been circulating. Where can folks find that information if they want to go on and really de- delve into this thing? Great, great question, Charlie. So there are two websites. One is our website mm-hmm. at the Conservancy. It's called pittsburghparks.org, um, all spelled out. Um, if you go to our homepage, we have actually a banner across that takes you to the parks plan. If you click on that, we have Everything that we've collected from the first round of listening tours that we held from December to Mm -hmm. April, all of the the PowerPoints, the materials we provided to the public, and then we also have all the information about the park plan, the results of the survey that we heard from the public broken down um, by race, by income, by council district, and also by citywide results. You can also see uh, the capital project plan. You can see how parks rank against each other based on the community and park data that we've collected. Everything that we have been doing is up on that website. Also, we will have, uh, by the end of day today, the ballot language that's on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Um, And we will also have a link to the campaign website, which is a separate website. It's actually called PittsburghParksForAll.com. Again, all spelled out. You can see all the information about the campaign itself there as well. Um, Talk a little bit about... The process for, for getting on the ballot. If you um, <laughs> if you want to be the mayor of the city of Pittsburgh, you only need 500 signatures That's to get right. on the ballot. That's right. You guys needed almost 12,500. That's correct. So how, when did you start that process? And what was that, what was that process? Um, what was that process like? And obviously you got the signatures. So that is another way, I guess, to base yes, how people are going to exactly. react. Well, you know, putting a referendum on a ballot in Pennsylvania is yeah, not easy, an right. easy task. Um, in fact, one of the challenges I had was trying to um, go through the legal uh, language in the state of Pennsylvania and the city of Pittsburgh to figure out how were we going to do this if we were going to do it. And so um, we, uh, one of the things we tried to do is get state enabling legislation at the le- state legislature and realized, you know, that's not a great right. way to go. Yeah. So we ended up doing uh, a home rule charter amendment. Um, mm-hmm. And so we had to legally work through those issues work through getting ballot language. Uh, We're limited with the ballot language to only having 75 words. And so we had to be very careful and think, spent a lot of time figuring out what that ballot language was going to be. We also knew that we had a seven-week window of time from uh, the middle of June to the very beginning of August to collect signatures. We we had to get 10% of the uh, signatures from the last gubernatorial election. So that's how we knew we needed to get just under 12,500. And I think that, as you mentioned, Charlie, to run for mayor for the city, you only need 500 signatures. Yeah. To put a referendum on the ballot, you have to have that, you know, 12,500 is an indication that in the state of Pennsylvania, it's they it's a very big hurdle to put a referendum on. It is. Very it is. big hurdle. But I'm really proud to say that we got over 29,000 signatures. That's amazing. 
to put it on the on the ballot, which tells you, in my view, how important people believe this issue is. So since you since you um, since it was sort of announced that this ballot, this question is going to be on the ballot. And again, you've been doing these listening tours. What is the reaction? What is I mean, I think we, we, we've kind of talked about what what some of the positive reactions. What are some of the put what's some of the pushback, pushback. that you're hearing? You know, I think um, depending on who you talk to, mm-hmm. um, I would say if you are talking to the general public, some of the reaction is um, obviously what's the impact from a tax perspective sure. on my uh, for me. And one of the things I do want to be really clear about is it's fifty dollars on the $100,000 of assessed value of property. That is correct. Is, I, not on the purchase yeah. price. And and it's an important distinction in Pittsburgh because assessments are depressed here in Pittsburgh. Correct. So your assessed value is generally considerably lower than what you paid for your home. Right. I think the other thing that's important to know is that the average assessed value of a home in Pittsburgh is $83,500. So that's equivalent to $41 a year versus 50. Um, and also if you get the homestead property tax exemptions, the tax rate again will go down slightly okay. for homeowners. So I think those are important things for people to know. Um, and I know I'm not answering your question. No, I- <laughs> I just realized I don't think I was answering your question. Well, I, I know uh, we're talking about just just some oh, of the, some, some of the other some comments, of the, some of the pushback. Yes, yes. I, I know, for example, that um, I will we will say that um, uh, Mayor Bill Peduto is is behind and on board this. He said publicly. Um, among some of the critics have been county, or county city controller Michael Lamb, um, and again, part of I think you know there's the issue of privatization is what I think, again, people mm-hmm. throw language in. That's not the issue here. Um, but what two of the issues I think that um, were sort of raised and, and maybe that are just obvious questions are, um, number one, you know, property tax seems to be when when it's time to pay for something, people, because, but that's what we have available in Pennsylvania is the property right, tax. That's system. the challenge. The, 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 the ability to raise taxes and the choices are very limited right. in the state of Pennsylvania. And, and when you, and it's, it's, I think probably with, you know, I, I certainly don't necessarily, I don't, I certainly don't hold this, this ideal, but it, it there's very much always that uh, attitude of, and some people, you know, everybody uses the park. Why are just a select few? Yeah, so that actually, that? Uh, Charlie, that is a great question. One of the questions come is, why don't we raise, use the rad tax yes. for all the parks? Well, the rad tax is a is a countywide tax that is intended very specifically. It's called a regional asset district tax, and it's the right name because it is for regional assets, meaning that these are assets in our region that people from outside of local jurisdictions go to. So things like museums, uh, things like um, libraries, mm-hmm. things like parks. But but what's important, as we talked earlier, the regional parks are the larger parks that are regional draws, not the smaller neighborhood parks. And so the RAD tax can only be used parks that have a minimum of 200 acres because they're large enough and they're used by people outside of the city. So actually the RAD tax that is collected, a portion of that actually does go to the city regional parks. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, here's a, a great statistic I think that is representative of the of the disparity of funding, and that is because of the RAD tax, uh, the city is able to uh, have 69 full-time maintenance employees working in mm-hmm. the five regional parks. 
But in the neighborhood and community parks, we only have a total of 33 maintenance employees working in all 160 wow. parks. That tells you the disparity of funding that's available between the regional parks and the other remaining 160 parks in the system. Yeah, it's um, so there's a we, we're talking about public input. And I don't that was an abrupt turn, but there's a public hearing, a city council. Yes. Public, and that's why I want to make sure we didn't forget to talk about that. Thank you. There's yeah. City council public so hearing. so p public input has been a critical yeah. piece in this whole process. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the public hearing, but I, I think it's yep. important for people to know that from December of 2018 through the end of April, we held a, to a total of 128 meetings at events across the city where we connected with over 10,000 residents. Yeah. We are now going through a second phase of public meetings where I expect we will probably have over 60 of them, again, all over the city. So over 200 meetings just to both get people's input, but also to share information. Yeah. Um, on uh, Wednesday, October 23rd at 6.30 p.m., uh, City Council is holding a public hearing literally about this tax referendum. And uh, I encourage any residents of Pittsburgh that care about this to come to the public hearing. Also, if you'd like to speak, you can call the City Clerk's Office at 412-255-2138 to sign up. And you need to call in advance. You can't sign up at the meeting. Uh, and you'll be given three minutes to speak about this topic as well. Um, and, and you've also been you've also been having um, and I assume you're going to have these sort of right up until these sort of community because I know you've you've you have community meetings. How many a week are you having or how many? Oh, boy, I bet we're having anywhere to 10 to 12 a week. Right. Wow. Um, and we will have them up through until the election. Yes. And um, again, I assume all the information on these. It's on our are, website. On your yeah. website. Go to pittsburghparks.org. We have a list of all the meetings. Um, one of the things, too, um, that people have talked about is, uh, and we talked about the various maintenance issues, um, tree tree replanting and mm -hmm. so forth. That's a program. Will this money still, will this money be used for that? Absolutely. In fact, um, you know, as part of public input, you know, one of the things we gave people a list of about 15 different maintenance mm -hmm. practices, and we asked people to rate the level of importance for each of those from not important at all to very important. Tree care was one of the top wow. um, issues that people said was really important. On an annual year, every year we're losing about 8,300 trees a year in the city. So the tree canopy is declining yearly, even though we and other organizations are doing a lot of tree planting, and that's impacting the air quality in the city. It's impacting the carbon footprint of the city. It's impacting the temperature in the city um, because trees uh, regulate temperature, cool a city. They reduce carbon footprint in a city. They may help to manage stormwater because of the uh, absorption of stormwater through its root system. So they are critical to the well-being and health of a city. So um, it was really uh, heartening to see how many people recognized how important tree care was. Um, what kind of things, so again, as somebody who's, who's sort of been living with this for a while, you obviously have a better view of this. Than what, what sort of things, are we missing anything major? Is there, is there any, are there any big picture items that we're, that we're sort of, or even small details that folks should know about this, this, this referendum? You know, I think, um, couple of things. I, you know, I think you've covered a lot, Charlie, but what I would say overall is this is really about our city. Yeah. This is not about the conservancy. This is not about the city. 
It's really about what, as a city, do we want our city to mm -hmm. be? And do we value parks enough? And do we see them as important enough in terms of improving the quality of life of the city, improving the economics of the city, that we want to leave a legacy for our kids, our grandkids, um, so that the kinds of things we were able to do as kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw that smile on your face yeah, when I absolutely. said that because yeah. I think when I mention that to people, yeah. they think about their experiences yeah. as kids and what it has done for them in terms of developing leadership skills, resolving conflict, play, exercise, you know, stretching yourself, climbing yeah. up a tree and, and, you know, and hopefully not falling. But right. all of those things <laughs> yeah. that I remember mm -hmm. and that are, incredibly yeah. important to who I have become as a person. And I think that, that it's something that you probably don't, I mean, it's good to have these conversations. So we do think about it, but it's something that an individual might not think about until it's gone. The small town where I grew up, there was probably a block and a half away. There was the 18th street playground, which is where mm -hmm. we all used to go. And there, you know, there was a regular playground. There were basketball courts that my brothers and I and all our friends grew up playing on. And, um, I've been back there recently, the, the, you know, the, or not recently, because now I think it's just kind of mowed over, but, um, but that's part of the problem. But then, you know, they take down the hoops and then it's in disarray and it's just because it's a small town on the Ohio Valley and there's just not a lot yeah. of money for parks. And so that was something that in my mind, that something that as a kid that, you know, we went there, that's where we spent our summers. Absolutely. It, it, and I think that's the piece that I think, you know, we can talk about the taxes, we can talk yeah. about this and that. But really the story is, yeah. what was your experience as a kid? Yeah. Where did you play? Where did you develop your friendships? Where did you learn how to resolve conflict? Yeah. That was in playgrounds. Right. That was at yeah. parks. That was in green spaces. And when you think about when you're under stress and you need to kind of get a break from yeah. things and get restored, it's yeah. those spaces that are so critically important to us as humans. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it's when it's when they when you drive by that that smaller community park is when you think about the importance. You know, when you go to a to a larger park, and you, you know, it's it's just a great place you can go and spend the day. But then when you but when you're driving by a playground and in a neighborhood that that yep. um, you guys redid, I don't know when did you redo the August Wilson Park? Um, I think it was in 2014. That was before okay. I was here. But that was a major that, absolutely major project. And 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 you know, one of the things we actually have Charlie on our website is. Um, again, on the page for the parks plan, we have a link to a benefits uh, presentation. Uh, one of the things that we did is we hired a firm that does analysis on investments. Mm -hmm. So we shared with them the park plan. They looked at economic investment. They looked at health and well-being, job creation, environmental impacts, mm -hmm. neighborhood impacts. And so there is a benefits PowerPoint that talks about the impact that not only the investments we've made in other parts of the city, but if these investments happen and the referendum passes, the kinds of jobs that will be created. We'll be, we're talking about over 240 new jobs, full-time yeah. jobs, that will be created in this community because of this funding. Yeah. The, for example, I'm looking at the, at the August Wilson. There's a slide here, August Wilson Park. It's almost a million-dollar renovation project. And, you know, that's not – Number one, it's not it's not a small amount to come up with. But then again, as you said, you know, to spend a million dollars, you've got to that means you're going to be paying people to 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 build things like retaining walls and put in lights in a basketball court That's and right. things like that. And then you hire more maintenance staff because they're going to take care of that space. Right. Um, Jane, thank you so much thank for you, joining Charlie. us today. Um, 
So what is what is the last push for you guys? Is it just more of the same or, or are there any sort of big plans? You know, what I would say our you know, our big push right now, obviously we are in the in the final stages sure. of this work. Um, you know, getting coverage like this. So I very much appreciate you having me on so that I can explain it to people. Um, continuing our public meetings, um, sending out literature to the residents, putting um, ads on TV so people can be educated. What is most important to us is that people go into that voting booth educated so they know what they're voting on. It's important, you know, obviously I want this to pass, but more important to me is that the public understands what we are truing, how we've developed this, so that they can go in as educated voters and make the voting decision that they think is best for Pittsburgh. All right. Jane, thank you so much. Um, And again, the general election is November 5th. Yes. Yes. I always have to look Tuesday, November 5th. Tuesday, November 5th. Um, And there are, again, we'll be having, Pittsburgh Current will have their election issue, our election coverage coming up in our next issue, October 29th. And we'll be looking at some various races and uh, we will have more on this uh, ballot initiative as well. But today, this has been the Pittsburgh Current podcast. And um, I want to thank you for joining us. New issue of The Current on the streets now. Uh, great story by Meg Fair on the Childlike Empress. Check that out, and we will see you next week. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.